1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. A lot of stuff to cover, a lot of ground to cover on today's program, some very serious topics, some lighter topics as well. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You can always get a head start on some of the things that we're going to be discussing. But we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. This is the story that collectively has some of the aldermen in Milwaukee, their undies in a bundle. Now, keep in mind, this is the city of Milwaukee, where this morning, high-speed chase and a shootout around Wisconsin Avenue, where on any given day, you will find a story of people being carjacked, cars being stolen, crimes being committed, people being murdered. All right, and this is the story that has some aldermen absolutely outraged. There's this photo which came out and shared on Facebook on Monday. The photo, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it, shows three white. Now, of course, if, if this were, if they were any other race, the Journal Sentinel would never point out that they were white. But three white, a photo showing three white. I don't know why that's relevant, but they decide to put that in. Three white city-hired subcontractors brandishing guns while on a work site near 19th and West Meineke Avenue was shared on Facebook Monday. The photo, which was shared and commented on hundreds of times on Facebook, showed two of the workers had holstered weapons on their belts while the third had a gun in his hand. The photo angered people in the um, African-American community and three Milwaukee aldermen. Right now, this is the city of Milwaukee, which is a shooting gallery. They were angry enough to issue a news release Monday calling the photo appalling. Common Council President Ashanti Hamilton. It's nice to know what he finds appalling. Alderman Russell Stamper II and Malaley Coggs said that they were shocked and angered by the image. Wouldn't you like to hear these people talking about how they're shocked and angered by the fact that you have repeat criminals who are turned back out on the street to rape and murder and kill and rob? Wouldn't it be nice to hear some outrage about that? But no, they're angered by this image. Behavior as dangerous and disrespectful as this is appalling and has no place in any neighborhood and by any city contractor, subcontractor, or representative, Stamper said. Okay, the the behavior, they, they have guns with them as they're working on the construction site. If this is a real untouched photo, I would like this individual and the crew removed immediately from the site and barred from any future city projects, Stamper said. This story goes on and on and on. The City Department of Public Works confirmed this is a city project, but the workers in the photo are not city employees. Um, while investigating this matter, we find American Sewer Services is the contractor for this project and that these three workers are employees of that company. Uh, blah 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 Some of the usual suspects wading in. It's not clear when the photo was taken or who took the photo. City of Milwaukee has a zero-tolerance policy for firearms and dangerous weapons in the workplace, and it prohibits employees from carrying or possessing a gun while acting in the course of their employment for or on behalf of the City of Milwaukee. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Give me a break. I, I mean, I mean, really? This is what is going to get aldermen outraged, upset, appalled, and angry. The fact that you have three workers 
who bring guns, bring firearms to the work site. Now, I understand if a particular employer has a policy against this, then they should leave their guns in their cars, okay? But this is, after all, the city of Milwaukee. You can make an argument. Remember the building inspector who was gunned down as part of the attempted carjacking? You could perhaps make an argument that if more city employees carried firearms, that the city would perhaps be a safer place. But in any event, there is this outrage over this photograph that is circulating three workers, subcontractors, carrying firearms. All right, let me ask this. Are you offended? Are you outraged? Are you appalled by this? Is this disrespectful? Or is this something that perhaps is more and more commonplace, given that the Milwaukee Common Council, the Milwaukee Police Department, and the mayor of the city of Milwaukee have been completely and totally unable to get a handle on crime in the city of Milwaukee? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sorry. There's all sorts of things that appall and outrage me. Three workers deciding that they're going to bring firearms with them as they work in the city of Milwaukee. That ain't one of them. 414-799-1620. Are you outraged, appalled by this? Or is this just something that you understand? All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is big story number one. It's 1214. Jeff Wagner. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Justin says, I think it's sad if the subcontractors thought it necessary to arm themselves in defense against possible threats while working in Milwaukee, but since they were out in the open and carrying firearms openly, not concealed, would they not have the right to do that? As a general rule, they would. Employers have a right to ban firearms in the work site place, but regardless, one way or the other. This is what upsets the aldermen in the city of Milwaukee. Let's see, Bill in Oconomowoc says, sounds like a safer work site to me. Stephen Greenfield says, I guess only the gangsters and the thugs were allowed to have a sidearm in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. Yeah, wouldn't it be interesting if Russell Stamper II or Ashanti Hamilton, wouldn't it be interesting if they were concerned about, well, I don't know, the out-of-control repeat crime in the city? Debbie says, um, what a joke. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Pablo in Milwaukee. Pablo, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Okay. Are, are you outraged and appalled that these workers decided to show up on the work site with firearms? I am. Uh, if they have to be able to protect themselves. They can't leave it in the vehicle. The vehicle gets broken into, then somebody have access to the firearm. I run a, uh, a public safety security uh, company, and we're hired by contractors and businesses that uh, require us to escort the contractors that are working in certain parts of the city and escort them into the work site, remain with them, and escort them out of the city as uh, an alternative to actually them carrying a firearm. Uh, I just, but then, so you do that because there's enough concern by the company that working in some of the areas in the city exposes the workers to to risk. To be honest, they can't get anybody to work in the certain parts of the city unless they provide them with some sort of protection. Uh, yeah, it, well, it, it, exactly. So, I mean, the, these workers, sounds like they were exercising a little bit of self-help. No, thanks for the call. I get, and, and see, this is the, this is the reality. It, it's, what is so amazing to me is that where we get outraged about, okay, Russell Stamper II is appalled. He's appalled 
that these white workers have, and again, that's that's the issue. We're trying to racialize this as well, that these white workers have guns. Well, my guess is that there's a lot of black workers as well that carry firearms themselves because they're sick and tired of being victims. Let's see, Bree and Wapan says, maybe if they didn't have to worry about drive-bys and carjackings, they wouldn't feel that they had to carry to work. Um yeah, let's see. Um, I'm offended. Here's another one. I'm offended and appalled that the city has become so dangerous that some contractors and city workers have to carry firearms in the job just to feel safe. Where is the true outrage? That's where the true outrage should be, in my p- p- opinion. Mitch and Sturgeon Bay. Hey, Einstein's. 40 car break-ins at the Intermodal. That's the bus depot. Multiple shootings, carjackings, people afraid to visit Milwaukee. Where is your outrage over actual crime? Um, yes, yes, yes. That's all the factors. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I guess, Jeff, there is a meeting this morning. There was for, for that company, whether they're going to, do any more work for the city of Milwaukee at all. So the aldermen already have that on the agenda to take that, that company off mm-hmm. list for doing work with the city because of that. So. Well, that would be, I mean, thanks for call. That, that, see, that's, that, this would be the ultimate the ultimate thing in the city of Milwaukee with Tom Barrett and Ashanti Hamilton and the, some of the rest of these clowns. All right, so the, the problem, the, the, here's where the outrage is. We, we are considering not allowing this contracting company to do business because some of the workers brought firearms with them. Okay, that it, it's not we're, we're not outraged that people are getting murdered. We're not outraged that there's carjackings. We're not outraged that there's high-speed chases. We're not outraged that you try to park your car at the bus or the train depot and you have people going through and breaking into 40 or 50 cars. That's not what we're upset about. We're upset that a couple of these subcontractors bring guns with them. Oh, the horror. This is the insanity that passes for the city of Milwaukee, for goodness sakes. Let's talk to Connie in Milwaukee. Connie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello there. I'm not upset that they they brought their arms with them. Um, I spend most of my day in the inner city. I'm a home care nurse. And there's a lot of times, especially when it gets to be late in the day, where I'll have um, my dog in the car with me. He's very gentle, but he's rather large and imposing looking. Right. And I have a policeman one day asked me why I had the car, the dog with me, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm on 9th and North and 13th and Chambers, and yeah. it's getting to be dusk. And he just looked at me and said, you know, there is concealed carry. And I'm like, well, that's kind of against <laughs> what I'm out here trying to do, but... Um, you know, I understand why other people do feel the need. Well, 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 exactly. I mean, you need to feel safe. I mean, one of the reasons I was so much in favor of concealed carry was, I mean, I, back when I was a kid, I had a friend. His dad was a jeweler, worked in the city of Milwaukee. People knew he was a jeweler. Every once in a while, he'd leave his jewelry store with, uh, you know, sample cases. After he was robbed the third time, he started carrying a gun. I mean, he, he started carrying a gun, even though he knew it was in violation of the law, but he was sick of being a victim, not being able to fight back. You know, it's just this outrage is so misplaced. All these inner city aldermen should care about what is going on in their community, not the fact that subcontractors feel it necessary to bring a gun with them to defend themselves as they're going to their car or their truck or whatever. True. Yeah. Well, you stick with that dog. I mean, thanks. For the, I mean, that, that's that. That's just 
this is the reality of this. But here's what happens. I mean, first of all, you've got a couple aldermen that are they're race baiters. They are obsessed with this whole racial area. That's why the whole thing is, I mean, I, again, my guess is you can find lots of African-American workers who carry firearms with them to construction sites as well. That would just kind of be my guess about this entire thing because doesn't matter. As one thing we've seen, you know, the thugs and the gangsters that are out there committing crimes, they don't care whether you're white or black or brown. They're just looking for targets. Oh, my goodness gracious, seriously. Mark in Bayview. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. I just think that these aldermen should lose their jobs for this. I work for the city, too, and we recently had to go through, uh, you know, training with uh, the suspicious activity and uh, 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 shooters and stuff like that. And if these aldermen, they have their heads in the sand that they don't realize that the comments, they have no idea what's going on in the city. It's so bad. <laughs> Contractors have to protect their cars, their tools. Yeah. Um, I live in Bayview. I had a contractor redo my bathroom. He had a sidearm the whole time he's in my bathroom redoing it. It didn't bother me one bit. But I asked him why, and he said, doesn't matter what part of Milwaukee, he's had to protect his car. Yeah. He's had his car broken into, vandalized, tools stolen, everything. So he carries one. Yeah, and and, and, you, and once you hear it, you you understand, and you know the guy's not going to rob you. He's there to do whatever you know you need to have done. But isn't it so interesting that the, the the these aldermen they don't care about the safety of the workers. They're concerned with how it looks to a certain segment of their community. That exactly. tells me where their heads are, really. Exactly, and to make a comment like like what they did, rather than the comment that they should have made that. We need to figure out why these people need to have guns and everything right. like that and, and stem that crime or that, that yeah. outlaws over there. And we could go on and on all day about the driving on that side of town. Sure. It's now spreading to the south side. And I feel sorry for some of the blacks who moved to the south side to get away from that. It's, it's just Well, right, the crime is spreading all over. Right, Th- thanks to call. And, and to racialize this, I mean, that's what's so infuriating. And, of course, the local newspaper plays into this. Well, there's three white contractors, oh, you know, who, who had guns. So, I mean, they, they play into this entire divisive sort of racial narrative. My point is that the reason, I don't care, again, if you're black or white, the reason these people are carrying guns, or, you know, again, we're, we're drawing conclusions from a from a photograph, but I understand why contractors carry guns into those areas. They feel threatened. Tom from Milwaukee writes, I work for the city of Milwaukee. Our employees have been robbed at gunpoint, shot at, and murdered. The city has yet to find any other effective way to ensure our safety. Are you listening, Ashanti Hamilton? Are you listening, Russell Stamper II? Are you listening, Tom Barrett? The city has yet to find any other effective way to ensure our safety except to tell us to do things like walk on the other side of the street or walk with a purpose what the hell does that mean they that's that's me um they mentioned panic buttons or cell phones for select employees in the meantime we are targets for the city's criminal element yeah see this is the larger undercover story about you know this the, the fact that this stuff is going on, it is going on on a regular basis, and rather than dealing with the underlying problem, you have some of these clown politicians who decide that they want to try to make racial points, and instead of dealing with the real issue, which is, again, the out-of-control crime. Brittany in Oak Creek. Brittany, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I just wanted to say that I feel safer knowing that 
um, there are people carrying their weapons. And if I saw them carrying their weapons and they if they were out in the open and you could see that, I wouldn't be afraid of them and I wouldn't be worried about them. I would feel safer knowing that they had those weapons. Uh, and I'm just a normal person. So You know, it's, yeah, well, right. Thanks. They, again, I mean, and, and I mean, I understand if, I mean, I don't know what these guys do, but if you're a subcontractor and you've got a truck full of tools or whatever, you know, you don't want to have a gun stuck in your face. You don't want to have it stolen from you. You don't want to be robbed. Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, just wanted to let you know, you know, I support these contractors because there was a situation earlier this year when they had contractors working on the streets and I believe the sewer lines on North 27th Street between uh, Capitol and Atkinson. And uh, there was so much uh, reckless driving and violence, shots fired and robberies and that going on in that area, that contractors actually walked off the job because they asked the city to, one, close down the street because of the reckless driving, and two, uh, to get some protection up there because they, right. they, they actually, the gunfire actually nearly hit uh, some of the workers and did actually, I believe, hit some of their trucks. Uh, the city finally did give in to their request and ended up closing down 27th Street uh, for, I, I want to step between that area for at least a couple months. And it's, it's I mean, they're, they're sitting targets out there yeah. without hey. any type of protection. And with the uh, staffing problems the city of Mo- the police department has, yeah. it's difficult to just on normal patrols right. uh, be in that area. But, but, but the aldermen, thanks for calling Steve, but the aldermen don't care about that. That, that doesn't matter. They don't care about that. They just care about the fact that, oh, they disrespected us. A couple of these white contractors, subcontract, disrespected us from bringing, for bringing guns to the work site. Well, okay, wake up, smell the coffee, stop racializing this, and deal with the crime problem. 1229, Jeff Wagner. It's 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Packers coach Mike McCarthy has outlined the plans for a possible Aaron Rodgers return with the playoffs barely in play. Do you want to see him out there? Greg Matzik does. He'll open the debate tonight at 735 on Sports Central. All right, big story number two. And actually, I want you to hear me out because my position on this might be a little bit different than your position and i know i, I listen to Ski, steve scafidi talk about this and my position is a little bit different than steve's but i want to explain this and i want to discuss the story today is how the governor has come out and announced that he wants to ask the state legislature for the authority to drug test food stamp recipients the governor's idea is that, look, if you're going to accept public assistance, um, what you have to do is one of the conditions should be is that you should, if you're able-bodied, um, you should be working. And obviously one of the impediments to being able to find a job is if you're on drugs, right? So that's the idea. So the plan would be, as a condition of getting food stamps, what you do is you have to submit to a, a drug test. If you test positive, you go through a treatment program. Um, I guess the question then becomes what happens if you continue to test positive after coming out of that treatment program. But, but you know, regardless, the idea would be, you know, we, if you're going to be taking public benefits, we want you to be drug tested, okay? And, and the argument and the analogy 
that has at least some value is that in the private sector, as a condition of, of working, for example, here, you, you got to take a drug test. All our job offers at this company are conditioned on upon you passing a, a drug test. So the, the idea, it is a good, it is good in theory. And I don't have the concerns that some of the lefties do. Like if, you know, the, the, whenever you have a program like this, you have some of the usual suspects get trotted out and say, oh, well, this is just part of the war on the poor and things like that, and this is awful. I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, I think... I don't see it as a war on the poor. I think it's a way to identify people who have drug problems. And then what you're going to do is you're going to, you know, be able to theoretically get them help. But you need to have that stick there along with the carrot. Okay, so you might say, all right, Jeff, if you agree with this type of stuff in theory, what, what is your objection, objection? What is your concern? Here is my concern. It's extremely expensive to do this. It's extremely expensive. To do a drug test costs, I don't know, depending on how you do it, somewhere between 25 and 50 bucks. Uh, that, so it is extremely expensive to do this. Now think about this. You're going to do this times, you know, however many tens of thousands of people are, are receiving like the, the uh, benefits. So it is an expensive process. In other states where they have done this, they have found almost nobody, almost nobody who's tested positive. Even by the governor's own estimates, um, they only estimate that 224 people would be detected as testing positive. I don't know where those numbers come from. I, I really don't. Don't know how they figure out 224. But in other states that have done this, they get almost no positives. Does that mean that the food stamp recipients who are able-bodied aren't on drugs? Does it mean they figure out ways to beat the drug test? I don't know any of that stuff. Does it mean there's flaws with the drug test? I don't know. What I do know is, in other states, it's not a cost-effective way of trying to address this problem. And I always use the phrase, a solution looking for a problem. And I guess that's what... I am concerned about with this program. I don't think it's a problem on, you know, singling out people, you know, who are on food stamps or benefits of getting public assistance. My question is whether it's worth the money that it would cost. The state estimates that it would cost somewhere under a million dollars to treat the 224 people that they expect that they would catch. I guess my question, though, overall is if the program, the drug testing program, is going to cost you half a million dollars or a million dollars or whatever it's going to cost, is there a more effective way of spending that money to try to get at what the problem is? Are there really enough people who are able-bodied, who are collecting food stamps, who are also using drugs that this program would identify. And that's what my concern about this is, because I think whenever we start dealing with stuff like this, you need to be cost-effective. Do I want to catch people who, um, if the idea is to let, have, let, let people lead a productive life and get into the workforce, I'm 110% with the governor. I mean, you've you got to get people off of drugs. My concern is that this is not the most cost-effective way to do that. And that maybe if you're going to take 
I don't know, half a million, million dollars, whatever. Is there a better way that we could spend this money to try to identify the relatively small number of people who you are going to catch? Are there better things that we could do? Could we do it more cost effectively? That is my concern. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, cost-benefit analysis. Do you think we're going to catch very many people, and is it worth the money to do it? Or could we, I don't know, figure out other ways that we could accomplish the same thing um, or concentrate on perhaps some bigger issues um, and save money? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1243. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, don't get me wrong here. I have nothing against trying to screen drug users and and trying to identify them and trying to get them help. I just, other states that have done what Governor Walker is proposing have found that they catch almost nobody. Now, again, I, I don't know if that's because people who are getting the food stamps aren't using drugs or whether it becomes common as to how you beat the tests. But, I mean, I'm talking about literally almost nobody. Now, the, the state says we think we'll catch 221 people, um, but, you know, what what is the cost of that screening, you know, going to be? Drug tests cost between 30 and $50, $25 and $50 to administer. Uh, is there a better way that you could spend the money, a more cost-efficient way to try to get to the same thing? And that's the only question I have. Jamie and Racine. Jamie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd like to take my call. Sure. Um, from what I understand, when I read it, it, they give them 30 days to take the drug test. And after, I mean, at 25 days, I think it's out of your system anyway. Yeah, almost. That, right. I mean, almost, I mean, cocaine is out of your system in, you know, in two days, generally, 48 hours. Marijuana lingers a little bit longer, you know, sometimes up to 30 days. But, yeah, if you've got a long delay there, you know you're going to be tested. You just you wait till you're clean. Yeah. They can partner up with the police if you're on parole. I know a lot of people go in jail, get out of jail, go back on it, go back to jail. I mean, let the parole system, they drug test. If you're on parole and, and, and if you pop up positive, you're off food stamp. They should, they should I mean, let the police... Right. The system already put in place. Well, I guess... They see, track it that way. Yeah, thanks for calling. See, and I guess that's, that, that's what I'm throwing out there. I, and is there, is there some other way that you could do this... In, in a way that might be more targeted as opposed to just kind of this sort of scattershot approach that, you know, we're going to do the screening and, and we're going to try to identify people. Because like I say, other states' experiences is that you catch almost nobody. Well, okay, if we're going to be spending half a million, a million dollars, whatever, to drug test people, um, I, I'm wondering if we could spend that half a million or a million dollars or whatever through other ways that we could better identify people. Or, I mean, I guess the larger question becomes, is this really a problem? I mean, is, is this is this the issue? Is this the reason why these able-bodied adults, is it drug use, is that the reason why these able-bodied adults are, aren't able to get employment? Larry in Northern Illinois. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, right. Similar to the last person who called, uh, we uh, I, we have random drug tests for truck drivers, okay? So if they catch you on drugs, okay, you're in trouble. However, when they first come to buy our employment, they have to take a drug test. Well, they just take a pill, uh, a certain pill, whatever that is, and they right. take a pill and they pass their test. 
same thing is going to happen here with the uh, governor's idea of, well, we can test these people. Well, they're just going to take a pill, pass right. the test, and now they get, now they're okay. Right, or you right, thanks, or or you just or you just plan ahead. You know, you know, okay, I'm 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 looking. I'm looking like I'm going to be, you know, going on public assistance. There's this waiting period, so okay, I'll I'll clean up my act for for a couple of weeks. Yeah, now if you were going to do, and again, I don't know how often they're they're planning on doing the screening. Is this going to be the type of thing where you know people are going to be peeing in a jar like every two weeks? I don't think so. But again, it, it's. The, the random tests, at least, maybe you'd have a chance of catching people with with a better a better chance of that. But the, the problem is, I'm not sure you'd get it. And again, look, I, I'm not against. I am not against what the governor is trying to do. I want to be real clear here. I'm just thinking, and this has bothered me all along. I look at the experience of states like Michigan, who catch almost nobody, who catch almost nobody in programs that are very similar to what we're talking about. I guess my question is: This sounds good. It's something that makes sense to me in in theory. I support it. In the real world, could you do better? All right. Big story number three is coming up. And it's a provocative one, and it's a why question. Stick around. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1254, WTMJ, Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign is underway. The next stop is this Friday at Albrecht Century in Delafield. Albrecht Century, of course, it borders the freeway in Delafield there. We've been there on many occasions. Um, myself, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, and Sports Central. All those shows are going to be broadcasting live from noon until 6.30. We would love to see you and your kids there with your new unwrapped toy. We collected uh, over 3,500 toys at uh, the VMP event last Friday, and I hope we can exceed that uh, at the Albrecht Century event this Friday. Our wrap-up is a week from Saturday. I'll tell you about more about that in just a little bit. But if you live in the Lake Country area, um, WTMJ, we're all going to be out there broadcasting from noon to 6.30 this Friday. Help those who need it this holiday season with Kids to Kids Christmas once again from WTMJ, our friends at the Salvation Army, and our friends at Capco Metal Stamping. All right, breaking news story, I, I guess, how the mighty have fallen. There was a, a time when I was when I was little, back in the day, uh, and the Olympics would roll around. The big competition was between the United States and, and Russia. And in many respects, it used to be an unfair kind of competition because the the Russian athletes were effectively they were professionals. I mean, they were they were paid by the state. They were sponsored by the state, whereas you really did have have amateurs who were participating in the United States. And and that's why it was always such a battle. You also there were always suspicions and things that that Russia was was cheating. Perhaps the most notorious cheaters were, were the old East Germans. But Russia was always a close second. Well, here's the story. Russia's Olympic team has been barred from the 2018 Winter Games in South Korea in February. The country's government officials are forbidden to attend. Its flag will not be displayed at the opening ceremony. Its anthem will not sound. Any athletes from Russia who want to compete will have to receive special dispensation and will do so as individuals wearing a neutral uniform. The official record books will forever show that Russia won zero medals. This is the ruling in response to a long, ongoing investigation by the International Olympic Committee, which has all sorts of issues themselves, um, into doping. And um, what they've determined is that Russia apparently has been doing that for quite 
a while. Um, now the question becomes, what is Russia going to do? Russian officials have threatened to boycott the International Olympic Committee if they got this sort of punishment. Putin has been predicting a boycott of the Games um, for years. So, I mean, it's it's a mess, but Russia is not going to be there. The interesting thing about the Olympics this year is... Um, a lot of other people aren't going to be there as well. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer when it comes to this stuff. But who in their right mind thought that South Korea was a good choice for the Olympic Games at this point in world history? South Korea right next door to North Korea. Now, I've never been to South Korea. I'm sure it is a wonderful place. But, you know, you're talking about, you know, the neighboring country that's run by just an absolute madman who insists on sending ballistic missiles over South Korea, over Japan, into the Sea of Japan. Um, one of the things that's going on is the ticket sales are just absolutely uh, abysmal. A lot of people in South Korea aren't buying the tickets. They figure that maybe that'll pick up in the next month or so. But lots of people throughout the world aren't buying the tickets, and there's really no... I mean, seriously, if you're sitting in L.A. or whatever... You know, who's going to go to South Korea to watch the Winter Olympics? I mean, of all the different places that you can go, South Korea is probably not high on that list. So the fact that Russia is not going to be competing, that's probably going to be another blow to ticket sales. But um, this is one of those situations. And again, it doesn't change the nature of the competition. And the athletes are always great. It's going to make for great TV spectacle. But from the perspective of people actually going, which is one of the reasons why you want to host the Olympics, um, why the International Olympic Committee thought South Korea was a good choice, well, that one's beyond me. Okay, big story number three is coming up, a shootout in downtown Milwaukee. What the heck is going on? And after that, have you ever traveled with a sick child? Well, you don't want to be flying one particular airline. I'll tell you that story as well. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. It's nice to have you with us. Big story number three. This one is almost just mind-boggling to me, and it kind of ties into what we were talking about at the start of the hour, where you have these city of Milwaukee aldermen that are unhappy that there's a picture of some contractors who, who bring guns to the, the work site, and they're, they're appalled, they're offended, blah-de-blah-blah-de-blah, but they really don't seem to care about the reason why people might feel it's necessary to arm themselves when they go into the out-of-control crime area that is known as Milwaukee. So here is the story. It's been dominating radio news and TV news all morning. Okay, last night, downtown Milwaukee, the main drag through Milwaukee is Wisconsin Avenue. The police department, the headquarters, are on like 3rd and it's, – it's on 3rd Street right off of Wisconsin Avenue, a couple blocks to, to the north, right off, off of 3rd. All right, so here's what happens. About 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, two Milwaukee police detectives – are traveling northbound on North James Lovell Street. That's 3rd Street. When two vehicles drove west through the intersection at the time at the same time in both lanes of West Wisconsin Avenue. Wisconsin Avenue is the main drag. So these guys are coming north on 3rd Street. They are probably like leaving the police headquarters. We're a couple blocks of that. And what they see is these two cars that are apparently drag racing 
down Wisconsin Avenue at 3.30 in the morning. They're drag racing, and this is my interpretation of the events, but they're in both lanes of Wisconsin Avenue, 3.30 in the morning. Um, They blow through a red light um, because they don't care. The vehicle being driven the wrong way on Wisconsin Avenue, a uh, Chrysler 200, strikes a detective squad car and loses control. The suspect vehicle crashed into a building near 8th Street and Wisconsin Avenue. That's the old Stein's jeweler. And and what I'm being told is they have those metal grates, you know, that they put in front of it. Um, To give you an idea of how fast the car was going, the metal grates, like, completely demolished. So, I mean, that's how fast these guys are going. The driver of the wrecked car exited the wrecked car and was picked up by the driver of the second vehicle, and then they flee. It gets better. So, okay, this is this is the main street in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. 3.30 in the morning, two people drag racing down Wisconsin Avenue, slam into a squad car, smash into a, former, into a storefront, essentially. And one of them, so that car is wrecked, gets out, jumps into another car, they drive off. It gets better. As the vehicle that now has the two drag racers fleeing, an occupant pulls out a gun and fires multiple shots at the detectives, with one of the shots striking an unmarked squad car. Okay, so drag racing, and then you get out and you start just opening up on, in this case, the police officers. Two Milwaukee police detectives have been identified as a 30-year-old man with 14 years' experience and a 43-year-old man with 10 years of service. Boy, this is something you look forward to going to work. You know, you're trying to do your investigations. And, gee, there's a car driving 90 miles an hour or whatever, smashes into us, smashes into a storefront, and then they shoot at us as we leave. Uh, The 43-year-old detective was transported to the local hospital for minor injuries, suffered in the crash, and was treated and released. Other detective not injured. Uh, Milwaukee Police Department seeks, continues to seek the occupants of both vehicles. So the drag racers fled. Now, I don't know any more about it than this. I am willing to bet you, Gru, who's producing the show today, dollars to donuts. What do you want to bet that the cars were stolen? I, I'm just, just saying I, I think that that's probably a good bet that the cars, that the cars, when they run the license plates, when they run the VINs, the cars are going to come back as stolen. That's number one. Number two, if and when they end up... Oh, yeah, did I say 3rd Street? It's 7th Street. That's where James Lovell is. Yeah, that's 7th, of course. Um, If and when, if and when they catch the bad guys, what do you want to bet that this is not their first time at the rodeo? I mean, it could be that just one day you wake up and you decide, hey, today is the day I'm going to go out and I'm going to drag race down Wisconsin Avenue and I'm going to try to flee, and then after I smash my car, I'm going to shoot at cops as I try to get out. It, it could be that that's just how you, you start off, but my guess is that these two gangsters that were involved in this action, I don't know if they're going to turn out to be juveniles or not. That's also a possibility, but my guess is whether they're juveniles or adults, this is not going to be their first contact with the criminal justice system. But they flee and they shoot. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a why question. 
Why do you think they do this? Why do you think the people involved feel they can do this? Is it because it's fun? Is it because the rules don't apply for to them? Is it because, I don't know, they don't think that there's going to be any sort of consequences? Why do you think it is? Because I, I'm going to suggest it is not normal behavior to, again, engage in a drag race down Wisconsin Avenue, and then as you are trying to flee from the police, to pull out a gun and start shooting down the main, and I don't care if it's 3.30 in the morning or 3.30 in the afternoon, that is not normal behavior. That is not the kind of things that normal people do. So why is it that these guys felt compelled or entitled to do this because th- this is this is again not atypical now this is probably a little bit extreme because it's wisconsin avenue and gunshots you know and be fired at cops and things like that but why is it that you think people do things like this i have a theory and i will share it but what's the why behind this 414-799-1620 we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 115 jeff wagner wtmj it's 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What does it mean to be a Milwaukee maid? The third generation of leadership at Palermo's Pizza shares its Milwaukee-centered philosophy with the folks at New Walkie. It's up now in the Intersection of People and Place podcast on WTMJ Mobile. When you're there, check out our various other podcasts as well. I know a lot of people download the podcast of this show, and I very much appreciate it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, I just want, here, Here's what's going on. I think that one of the reasons you have this is simply because they're, they know they can get away with it. I mean, I think this is what happens when you have a culture of wrist slapping and no consequences that has gone on for years and years and years. Um, yeah, you've got this antisocial behavior, okay? So obviously there, there's something wrong with people that, that do this. I mean, seriously, who drag races and then after you crack up the car, you shoot at cops, all right? Now, I don't know if they knew they were shooting at cops because it was an unmarked car. Don't know if the officers identified themselves. But they pull out a gun and start shooting down Wisconsin Avenue 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever. I think, again, it's this culture of no consequences. And I think you can look at the district attorney's office, you can look at a court system that for years and years has enabled this sort of stuff, and the chickens are coming home to roost, and it is not a pretty sight. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, Chef. What do you think? I believe you're correct in that it's a culture of leniency, and also it's a culture effective. I think, you know, you listen to this rap music and TV shows, which are supposed to be fantasy, quote-unquote, but these people are trying to make it real life instead of uh, just watching it as an entertainment thing. Hmm. And, and just getting away with it. Yeah, well, right, and, and, and getting away with it. I mean, yeah, thanks to call. And, and that, see, that's the key, and getting away with it. You know, if these, if these I, and again, I don't know whether these are juveniles or whether they were adults, but, you know, dollars to donuts, you know, if these are juveniles, there's nothing that's going to happen. They're going to be turned around and let back out on the street again. You know, the we were talking earlier about the, for like two weekends in a row now, you've had vandals that have gone through the, the parking lot down by the intermodal station, the bus depot, just vandalizing and breaking into 40, 50 cars. You know, my guess is that a, 
my, I will not be surprised if these are juveniles, or at least some of the people that are doing it are juveniles. And you know what? The juvenile court system in Milwaukee is going to turn them loose again. And, and then, okay, if you're turned loose over and over again and you're never held accountable, well, okay, then you just think, well, okay, there's no consequences. Why not shoot, you know, down the street? No, if I kill somebody, well, maybe then I'll be held accountable, but I'm not going to think that far. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rick in Milwaukee. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Rick. Yeah, hey, Jeff, how are you? Good. What do you think? Good. Yeah, I certainly agree that, you know, there's not accountability, but I think we can even go a little deeper and say that, um, you know, I just think that a lot of times it's just there's this hopelessness amongst these folks, and that they really don't have much to lose. And what I mean by that is you contrast that with somebody that's got a lot going on for them, mm-hmm. they're all getting an education. I think the more you've got going for yourself, the less you're willing to risk. And I think these folks have got hopelessness. Um, I think it's the, the same kind of reason why ISIS is able to recruit young kids that are hungry and that don't have a lot of hope that are willing to strap uh, bombs around the chest and walk into a crowd, you know, crowded market. It's just it, they just don't have anything to lose. Right. It, well, and it, right, and that leads to, and I, I don't really disagree with you because that leads to the complete lack of impulse. Um, look, look let, let's face it, the reason, the reason why a lot of a lot of us, you know, didn't didn't do bad things, and, you know, is, is first of all because there was going to be accountability. You know, our, our parents were there, and we knew we'd get in trouble. But also, I don't know about you, Rick, but I I did have ideas for the future. I knew what I wanted to do, and it was right. always kind of in the back of my mind, gee, you know, if I do something like this, this might stop me from getting a job, or it might stop me from getting into law school. And and and, and I'm not sure I would have ever done any really bad things. But you're right. There, I I always had I had dreams and aspirations, and, and you didn't I, want to risk it. Right, and, and you, you didn't want to, right, you didn't want to risk it. And, and again, it's, I think it's also, as long as we're talking bigger picture, it, it does come back to the, to the way you are raised. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but, I mean, I was raised with parents that I think taught me the idea of right and wrong. And that, that upbringing, I think, was part of, uh, like, a, a core set of values. So you knew, I'm not going to go drag racing at 3 o'clock in the morning and pull out a gun and start shooting at people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thanks. And I, and I do think, and, and that's why, I mean, I want people to understand. I mean, I, you know, we, we talk about a, a lot of the, the underpinnings as to why people commit crimes. And and as I, as I frequently said, I, I don't have any problem with trying to deal with, with root causes, stopping people from committing crimes in the first place. Last week, I, I was at this big fundraiser in West Bend that they were in Washington County that they were doing for like the Boys and Girls Clubs. I really support the Boys and Girls Clubs. I know a couple people that are sort of have the names on the doors and all, and they're friends of mine. But, I mean, I, I support what they're doing. They're, they're offering alternatives, I mean, positive alternatives for kids after school to try to keep kids out of trouble. I'm, I'm 110% behind sort of the root causes and, you know, dealing with senses of hopelessness or things like that. But at the same time, I'm a law enforcement guy, and I come at it from the perspective of once you have made the decision to commit the crimes, well, okay, then then you got to pay the piper. And I, I see, I just, I mean, I believe that that's what you're seeing. My guess is these guys, through the criminal justice system, and I say that in quotation marks many times, no, no, no consequences at all. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You know, it, it's we have so many repeat offenders, um, but we need to start tightening down on our prison systems 
you know, hard labor, truth in sentencing, um, make these guys work for something. It's called a prison because it's prison. It's not three hots and a cot, you know, and see a next, you know, see in three years. I had, um, um, th- thanks for calling. You know, it's funny, Jeff. I had a, in another life, I had a discussion with somebody who, who worked in the correctional system and who said, Jeff, you just don't understand. We don't send people to prison for punishment. We send people to prison as punishment. And so, yeah, we're going to have TVs and we're going to have the workout rooms. And I said, well, the problem is for, you know, many of the people that are committing these crimes, life in prison is better than what their life on the street is. There's a structure to it. You know, now there are some drawbacks. You know, I, I admit that, you you know, there are some things that aren't around, but I guess you kind of you, you kind of adjust to that, I would understand. But I, I'm thinking, right, there has to be some degree of, of, of punitive nature. But I'm not even at that point now. I just want to get people to prison. I just want to get people sent off when they commit these various crimes why do we have to coddle this over and over again? I'm sorry, we could go on for another hour, but how many more of these stories do you have to have about people just doing egregious things? It is but for the grace of God that one of these cops isn't dead. I mean, that's just the reality. You've got some idiot, thug, gangster, fill in the blank, 3.30 in the morning, who pulls out a gun on 8th and Wisconsin and starts shooting. Eighth and Wisconsin, and it wouldn't be better if it was 16th and North or you know 27th the Capitol, but it's Eighth and Wisconsin. You're talking about literally the heart of downtown, and they just open up on the main street in the city of Milwaukee and start shooting. But of course, as one of my texter points out, Jeff, Jeff, the city is safe. Just ask Mayor Tom Barrett. Yeah, um, when we come back. Have you ever been on an airplane with a sick child? It's an interesting story. I'll tell you how one airline handled it. Stick around. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, John Conyers, um, he, to give you perspective, he was first elected to Congress in 1964. U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War had it had started, but it, it hadn't escalated. He, he he's the last serving member of Congress who was there when Lyndon Johnson was the president. So 1964, he's been there for 53 years, and I'm sorry, that's just too long. And I guess I that this does make me rethink the whole term limits thing. Plus. If you look at the, the – the, there is a pattern of sexual harassment and, and sexual misconduct, and I understand that he denies this. But, again, when you have – you have lots of women who are now saying these things, and, and what a lot of the women are saying is, well, he did this, it was inappropriate, but we didn't come, want to come forward because he's this liberal civil rights icon, and, you know, we didn't want to be the one that raised this, but now that the dam is broken, there's, there's one woman after another. It's not just one or two. There's all sorts of people talking about inappropriate behavior and things like that. Um, as well as misuse of his office staff, but one of the things is a lot of a lot of these allegations are, are just in the last ten or fifteen years. So I mean, here you have somebody that I guess maybe after you're in Congress for forty years or so, you you feel that there's a sense of entitlement and nobody's going to toss me out, and you wonder if the guy is senile. And I'm sorry if people don't like it, but I mean it's it, it's you know it, it's this behavior that you would think is perhaps out of character, well, you know, maybe 
once he gets into, you know, maybe some of those filters that were there before have just kind of disappeared. But this, again, classic example of perhaps why you do, in fact, need term limits. All right. Let us switch gears. Rue, who's producing the program today. Have you ever been on an airplane with a sick child? Not necessarily your sick child. Oh, okay. I have a story about that. I'm um, I'm getting out of law school. I'm with my buddy, Dean. This is before we start our jobs. We fly down to Martinique. We're going to this, like, club med, and we, we don't have any money. Uh, so, but we're going to Club Med. So we're like, so we're we're flying. Uh, I forget the name of the airline. It was like the Trailways of the Sky. It was one step ahead of the bus, and just one step. And the flight we were on was from Chicago to Miami, and then it was going on to San Juan. We get off in Miami, and we we're going to fly to Martinique. On the way, but on the way down there, there's this woman who's sitting uh, one one row up. And across the aisle from me, and, and she's got the, this kid, and the kid, the child is sitting in her lap. The kid's like two or three years old, and I, I'm watching the kid for about two-thirds of the flight. He's eating everything that there is. I mean, she, she's trying to keep the kid calm, so she's feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. And then we hit a little bit of turbulence, and predictably, you know, I mean, we're calling Ralph on the white telephone. I mean, it's just like like all the animal crackers come up and the breakfast comes up. And I mean, all over, all over the, the floor, you know, the kid. And I'm kind of like I'm moving my feet because the, the, and, and the woman, I, I'm kind of sympathetic to the mom because she's sort of paralyzed as the kid is throwing up. The flight attendant comes running down and looks at this mess. And she's I, I, I mean, she. Uh, she uh, she's probably thinking I got to clean this stuff up, and she's like, "Ma'am, you know, put something over your child's mouth." And then it, it just, but it was it was just, it it kind of struck me as funny. All I mean, I felt bad for the mom. I felt I just it was it was a bad situation. But it's kind of like, okay, how soon do we land in Miami? Let me get off this plane. All right, that is the backdrop. Here is the story. This couple, they are in Maui. Is this uh, this is last weekend? I think they are in Maui. And they live in, in in California, kind of in the L.A. area. So they've been in Maui on vacation. It's a couple. They've got a three. They've got a three-year-old son. So they are flying back from Maui to Los Angeles. They are flying on uh, Virgin. It's Virgin Atlantic. Yeah, that's what they're flying. So here here's what the mom's story is. She says, "Okay, we're rushing to the airport from Maui." I, I've got the three-year-old. He's in the cab with me. You know, it's kind of stressful. You're going through these airports. We're hurrying to get on the flight. She says that the child has has motion sickness, and Mom says, I have motion sickness, too. So they, they go through security. They get their bags checked. They get on the plane. So they're sitting on the plane. The plane has boarded, and what happens is the kid becomes sick, all right? Um, the, the kid starts to, I, I couldn't do this during the noon segment because, I mean, I understand some people are eating lunch, and if you still are, I apologize, but the kid starts to throw up. The kid gets sick. Mom says it's motion sickness. So what, what mom does is mom kind of bundles up the, the child, and she rushes the kid to the bathroom, unlike my experience on whatever this airline was. I'm going to have to try to think about it. Um, but mom rushes the kid to the bathroom. But as mom is rushing the kid to the bathroom, the kid is sick. Okay, so he's he's you know he's he's erping stuff up. She gets him into the bathroom. All right, so you know she's trying to clean him up and all. And this now I, I'm thinking this has got to be just an awful experience. I mean, you're you're there. You're just okay. The, the kid has gotten sick. All right, this is terrible. She comes back to her her seat. 
you know, she's trying to clean the kid up because he's thrown up and all that sort of stuff. And she says, um, the flight attendant, first of all, confronts him, her, and says she's rolling her eyes and wondering why I let the child get sick on the floor. And she says, well, it's not like I did it on purpose. I was trying to get him to to the bathroom. So anyhow, she gets back to, to her seat, and her husband is getting up. And she says, well, what's going on here? The husband says, they're throwing us off the plane. He says, well, what do you mean you're, they're throwing us off the plane? And apparently the airline staff says, all right, your son is sick, and so he isn't going to be allowed to to fly. The flight crew says that before the kid is going to be able to fly, um, they would need to present something called a quote-unquote fit-to-fly certificate from the doctors. Okay, so now the, the parents, who are both lawyers, you know, they start, you know, they start arguing. But look, are, are the kids, it's not like he's got the flu or the black plague or anything. He's just, he got motion sickness, stomach got queasy. He heaved, okay? He's better now. He's, he's thrown up. Airline says, nope, he's got to get off the plane, and he can't get back on one of our planes until he gets a fit-to-fly certificate. After nearly an hour of arguing, uh, the parents apparently put the kid into a taxi. They go to the closest emergency room, and the doctor says, well, sure, he's, he's, he's fine. He's fit to fly. This was just a case of motion sickness. Um, the parents... Um, say, well, okay, well, we're, we're not ever getting on um, Virgin Atlantic again, um, and they ended up flying back on a, on a different airline, on United. But now they've gone public with the story. The airline says, per standard process, in the event of a guest medical event, the flight, the flight crew um, contacted MedLink, and they determined that the child needed to be symptom-free for two hours before flying. The family was not able to depart on their original flight, but were able to rebook when their child was feeling better and was symptom-free. All right, 414, they say that they acted out of an abundance of caution. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, was this, was this an overreaction? Obviously, the airlines don't want to allow somebody on the plane that that's sick. I, I get it. If they're sick and they're not going to be able to fly and you get over the Pacific Ocean and the kid or anybody has, you know, a, an episode, well, then you got a problem. So I understand that you don't want people who are ill to be flying. At the same time, mom says, okay, the kid, it was just motion sickness here. He threw up. He feels better. This happens to people all the time. Did the airline overreact? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this when we get back, but have you ever been in a situation where you've been on a plane with a sick child or you know, you yourself or maybe one of your flying companions has been a little bit under the weather? You ever heard of them being kicked off? The airline says they did it in an abundant of abundance of caution. Did the airline exercise appropriate judgment? The parents are appalled. 414-799-1620. Again, when we come back, I'll tell you where I stand. But I'm curious as to how you react to this. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Sports Central is all Packers in the 6 o'clock hour as Greg Matzik goes one-on-one with Packers wide receiver Jordy Nelson. Their exclusive conversation starts at 6.07 this evening. I know some of the things that Greg and Jordy talk about. You don't want to miss that, so check it out, 6.07 this evening. All right, this is the story. Family coming back from Maui last weekend. They rush to the airport three-year-old gets on the plane the three-year-old upchucks okay as the mom is trying to take him back to the bathroom he throws up um she's cleaning him up they come back and the family is thrown off the airplane the airplane says well no you need to take the kid to the emergency room um he can't fly until you get a fit to fly certificate from the doctor because you know we don't want to allow sick people on the plane she says okay he's not sick he just has motion sickness he was just nervous stomach, whatever, let us fly. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, You know, these airlines, and look, and I, I understand, that's why I started this off by telling the story about the time I was on the plane and the kid got sick on, on the plane. Um, is, it, is it a bit of a pain when this happens? But you know what? When, when you are flying, you know, hundreds of people on a plane – thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, in any given period of time, occasionally this sort of thing is going to happen. I think I think what Virgin Atlantic did was an incredible overreaction. And if I were mom and dad, I would be mad as heck as well. I mean, which does kind of now raise the issue. I mean, is is any time that somebody, I don't know, gets on on the airplane and expresses any sort of symptoms or any sort of concern, or I, I've got a nervous stomach, or, you know, I, I ate something bad the night before, and I've got a little bit of discomfort, and I've got to run to the bathroom before the plane takes off. Is that going to be the basis that you're going to be tossed off off a plane? Now, it might be a basis for, you know, the flight people asking a question or two. You know, why was it that the kid got sick? Is the kid, you know, is this the flu? Has the kid been laid up with the flu for a last month? Okay, well, maybe that's the case or the last week. But, you know, absent anything more than, gee, it's a little bit of a nervous stomach, you're going to really toss people off of planes, especially kids? 414-799-1620. I think the airline is really really in the wrong here. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and talk and text line. Um, I just, it just makes no, it makes no sense to me that you would do something like that. Okay, we ready? We ready for her? Okay, let's talk to Peg in Beaver Dam. Peg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Peg. I had to call in because this is very familiar to me. I have a kid who gets sick on a, got sick on a routine basis. He's 22 now, but, you know, every time we got in the car, he'd throw up. You know, we went on rides, he'd throw up. You know, it, it was everything. And I have uh, an experience as a, as I, when I was a kid, I grew up with uh, five younger brothers, and we flew for the first time in 1968. And at the time, you know, we were very excited. It was everybody was dressed up and hot and the whole nine yards. And four out of five of my brothers got sick at the exact same time. You know, they were excited. Right, there yeah. were, you know, they'd been drinking, you know, warm soda, and the right. stewardess had been feeding them drinks. You know, um, yeah, it's the excitement. You know, if the kid is not visibly ill, you know, doesn't have a temperature, doesn't right? Yeah, right. Is, is he warm. running a fever? Right? Is the kid turned yeah. yellow, or is this just 
okay, he's got a nervous stomach. That ha- that, that happens to adults, Peg. You know, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> like my twenty-two-year-old, the one who was sick as a kid, still has motion sickness in some circumstances. He used to laugh. You know, every time you know, it's like, oh, Joe's getting hot. Once he says he's hot, we're done. Right. You know, we're either pulling over or he's barfing on everything he owns. <laughs> well, I mean, you know? don't don't airlines still have those little air sickness bags? I mean, well, I, I yeah. got to believe that this is kind of a. A relatively common, I mean, you know, hopefully yeah. hopefully not it's an, an every flight, every day occurrence, but I mean, the reason you have those air sickness bags is because sometimes well, people get air sick, for goodness sake. Absolutely, and I, and I think the airline was out of line, personally. You know, I would have had a fit, you know, if I was those parents, and I appreciate their efforts, and I think that, I think that maybe the flight was overbooked. Yeah. I don't care. You know, you need if you think the kid is medically unqualified to fly, then check with the nurse or somebody on staff who can at least take a temperature and see if there's anything to it. Right, otherwise, instead of just telling the parents, okay, you're, you're in Hawaii, all right. Yeah. Now, I mean, I guess if you're going to be stranded, there's worse places than Maui, but saying, okay, you've got plans, you plan to get back, you had all these things, sorry, you're out of luck, we're not letting yeah. you fly. No, thanks for that. See, that's, that, that's the issue here. Um, I have a, here's an email from uh, Kathy. Two years ago, I became that mom. Um, that mom who brings her sick child on an airplane. I wasn't planning on being that mom when we returned the rental car, and I had a seemingly healthy child. Nor when we checked in, even though the healthy child said she wasn't feeling too well, I became that mom as we were getting ready to board, and the healthy child bolted for the bathroom to get sick. I had to make a snap decision. So I could have said, we're staying, and we'll get the bags off and find a hotel, or I could have run to the shop in the airport, bought some Kleenex, hand sanitizer, antiseptic wipes, and Tylenol, and asked nicely for some extra plastic bags. So I disinfected my child, moved us to the back of the airplane on the aisle by the restroom, and by the mercy of God, got a surgical mask from the flight attendant and prayed for an uneventful flight while continuing to disinfect everything in sight. While the flight was not quite uneventful, but mercifully, she slept through most of it. And yes, I got the look, the looks, the looks that said, you're the mom, and I will never give that look again to someone. Instead, I would offer them hand sanitizer. Yeah, that's, I guess that's the thing of the universe of ways that you can handle something like this seems to me that that virgin atlantic you know picked about the the worst way to handle this you know at at all um let's see have a text here i threw up all over the jukebox at nordic mountain skiing hill when i was little they didn't eject us even though we did not stay much longer after that yeah i i you know i understand this greg in watertown greg you're on wtmj good afternoon Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was. I, this goes back to I, don't know, I think it was like the mid '80s. I was a kid. I was flying from Washington State to Chicago, and I was nervous. I was scared, you know. And I got sick on the plane, and everybody around me, the stewardesses, everybody was great about it. You know, they got me whatever I needed, everything. And I think today it's just these people just, they don't care. They don't want to deal with it. You know what I mean? Well, right. I mean, yeah, exactly. They, right. The, the, the default setting is, you know, let's talk. No, thanks to go. The default setting is let's toss you off the airplane. Here we, we, we call up the, the MetaLink line. It says the, the kid has just thrown up. Okay, well, then, then, then don't bother. And I understand it's going to be a flight over water. And I, I, I get that you want to try to make sure that you don't have a situation but but this it's not like the kid had measles it's just not it's like the kid 
barfed, you know, when they were getting ready to leave on the plane, and they got tossed off for that. Okay, coming up in the next hour, we've got a lot of great stuff. You know, the shooting out at Brookfield Square the other day with the Lyft driver, the mom of one of the bad guys is going after the Lyft driver, the Brookfield police, authorities, playing the race card, you name it, she's doing it. We are going to discuss that and a lot of other stuff. Stick around, it's 157. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, you will remember last, it was about a week ago, last Wednesday, there was the incident at Brookfield Square. What happened was you had at least the, the details that were emerging at the time was that you had a, a group of, of guys, four black guys, I mention that because the race is going to become important later on in the story, who had apparently um, called for a, a ride from, on a lift, you know, one of the ride-sharing things. This was lift from a motel in the town of Brookfield to the Brookfield Square Mall. You remember this while en route, what happened is the driver said it, he was about to be robbed by the guys. He said he looks in the rearview mirror. One of the guys has a, a gun. He pulls the car over. The guys get out of the car and start to run. The um, Lyft driver has a firearm and fires shots at the four guys as they are running away. Right? You will remember you know, that whole story, and we had a conversation about whether or not whether or not the Lyft driver, you know, should be charged. Brookfield Police Department received a call about 11 o'clock for a possible armed robbery complaint. A uh, Lyft driver told officers he heard a metallic sound coming from the back seat, saw one of the four passengers holding a handgun in his rearview mirror. The driver, again, pulls over, gets out of the car. The four men were fleeing. Um, police, four of them run away. The police catch one of the four, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. The other three um, get away. And so the police are saying, and I think that this is true now, they are still at large, they are considered armed and dangerous. All right, so that was last Wednesday night. Update, um, the suspect who was arrested after this, the one of the four they caught, a 25-year-old guy named Keandre Taylor of Ypsilanti, Michigan. He's being held in Waukesha County Jail on charges of identity theft and theft by fraud. He was in the Brookfield area with these three other men to fraudulently purchase cell phones, according to the police. The three other suspects are still being sought by police and are also from, from Michigan. So, I mean, that's that's the backdrop on this. The guy has not been charged with armed robbery, and they haven't found a gun, but that that's because they haven't caught the other three, you know. And, and now, after this passage of time, if there was a gun, and I say if there was a gun, if there was a gun, that gun is, is long gone because the guys ran away. So now you have the one guy who's sitting in jail. The police say, hey, he and his buddies were here. This was like a stolen cell phone type of ring. Uh, ring that was going on. Okay, now the mother, the mother, Gru is looking at me. Do you see the story? The the mother of the bad guy, um, the mother of Keandre Taylor of Ypsilanti, Michigan, who was involved in this incident, 
She is all over social media. She's all over Twitter. She's all over Facebook. And she sees this as kind of a Black Lives Matter moment. I will share with you a couple of her tweets. My son and his three friends were shot at by a Lyft driver that not only said racist remarks, but claimed to have seen a gun that hasn't been found. Well, neither have three of the four guys. I just add that as an aside. Neither have three of the four bad guys. They haven't been found either. The Brook Racist Field PD hasn't arrested the driver. Instead, they're treating the boys like criminals. She goes on. If you're a person of color, don't ask Brookfield police for help. Instead, you'll get treated like a criminal. She goes on. Um, They'd rather protect and serve their own kind instead of properly seeking justice. Lyft allows racist cowards to drive for them so they can attempt to take innocent lives. She continues. Had my son and his friends not escaped, Their story would have been that they attempted to rob a Lyft driver, and he successfully killed all four of them. It's not open season on my son nor any other black boy or man. Um, And you you get the general idea. She says, I'm trying to get justice for my son. They had no guns, no drugs. They was at the mall buying 800 iPhones. Buying 800 iPhones. I, who, who runs Lyft drivers when you have more money? All right. I want to open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The mother of the one of the four of these guys that the cops caught, who, at least as of the last time I checked, was in jail, the mother is outraged that her child, who was shot at by the Lyft driver, is in jail and the other three are of course in in the wind she's outraged that the lift driver has not been charged right 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line right under the circumstances the story that the lift driver tells is that he was fearful of his life he was afraid that he he saw a gun they haven't recovered the gun haven't recovered the gun but they haven't caught three of the four guys. So um, he said, I heard a gun. I thought this was an armed robbery. I fired at them. The mother is outraged that her son, her son, you see, and his three buddies who are presumably in the wind right now, that they they were the ones that were shot at. They are the true victims. It is the Lyft driver that needs to be charged. 414-799-1620. Does the mom have a point? Is her son the victim under these circumstances? She says, hey, this is just, it's all this giant, it's a racial thing. You know, the Lyft driver did this. He said these racist things to these four guys. Um, He pulled out the gun. He shot them at them when they were fleeing. All right, and, and he's walking the streets free while my son, my son is in jail. Brookfield police say, yeah, your, your son is in jail and, you know, he's going to be charged with we think he was part of the scheme to, you know, deal in stolen cell phones. All right. 414-799-1620. Does the mom have a point? I will tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. It is 216. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219. 
Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so you have the mother of the one of the four guys who got caught after they were fleeing from the police. She is outraged. She's seeing this is when the, the Lyft driver um, said one of the guys had a gun. He thought it was an armed robbery. He stops the car. He's got a gun. He shoots at them as they are fleeing. Um, one of the four has been caught. The mom is all over social media calling the Brookfield police racist, saying that um, this is this this was just horrible. That the kids were all innocent. Now they've only caught you know one of the the four. Um, the mom says that the gun hasn't been found. Did I mention that? Um, <laughs> did I mention that they only caught one of the four? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I guess I, I see a couple different aspects here. First of all, I refuse to see these four guys that ran from the police as being victims. Because because here's the thing. All right, let us assume for the sake of argument that you are you are the innocent victims of an out of control crazy cab driver uber driver lyft driver okay let's say there is this racist guy who suddenly for no reason at all pulls out his gun and starts shooting okay all right let let us assume that all right well what do you do well maybe you run away when he's shooting but you know after the cops come to the scene you turn yourself in you say hey we were the four guys that were in this cab this guy was nuts for no reason at all he pulled over to the side of the road he started screaming racial slurs at us he pulled out his gun he started shooting at us take this man away right isn't that what you do if you are an innocent victim what did these four guys do they ran and as far as i know three of the four are still in the wind did they have a gun? I understand the mom says there was no gun. We're not going to know one way or the other because these four ran. All I'm saying is as a starting point, if i got to decide who to believe in this case, I'm believing the Lyft driver who stood around and at least answered questions. Now, that doesn't change the fact, and we've talked about this before, you know, you're not legally entitled. You're only allowed to use your firearm in self-defense. You can't legally fire at people who are fleeing. Having said all that, under these circumstances in the heat of the moment, um, especially with three of the four guys still fleeing and avoiding justice, there's no way in the world that I think you ever get a conviction were you to charge the Lyft driver in this case. All I'm saying is mom is protesting the innocence of her son and the three other accomplices. They were not – and what – Mom also, again, I read the text. They were there to buy 800 iPhones. I, I don't, you know, you draw whatever conclusion you, you want from that. I mean, the police say this is part of this identity theft ring and stuff like that. Um, I'll wait for those charges to come out. All I'm saying is that after these guys flee, they, to me, did not behave in the fashion that somebody who was an innocent victim of an out-of-control driver would behave in. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Clarence in Milwaukee. Clarence, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, how are you doing today? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Some parts of this story just aren't quite ringing true for me. Clearly, these guys are from out of town. They're here to do some uh, illegal transactions. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, normally, I would imagine that if, if, uh, if, as the cab driver described, that he heard a metallic sound or he saw a gun, uh, if those guys normally, um, I, I just can't imagine that they would have allowed this guy to stop the car and get his gun and now run me off. I, I just would envision that if I had a gun and somebody was shooting at me, I would shoot back. 
So some parts of this just don't mm-hmm. quite ring true to me. But clearly those guys are not nice guys. Well, right. I mean, clearly there, there's some criminal activity that, that's involved here. Okay, let's say you're the DA on Waukesha County, Clarence. And and I, I agree. Technically, under the law, based on the story I'm hearing, I, the, the cab, the Lyft driver was wrong to fire his gun at people who were fleeing. He but, was. He was, and I and that. But do you, do you charge him? Uh, could you ever get a jury of twelve people to agree beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it, that he was I'm guilty sure of something? That, I'm sure that you could not, uh, because again, under that kind of circumstance, if anybody was in fear for their life, uh, whether you're supposed to shoot at people who are fleeing or not, still in the heat of the moment, yeah. I can see somebody maybe throwing some shots at some guys to you know to to get 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 free from that situation but yeah it's, uh, it's, it's just uh no i agree with you I, thanks for, i mean i i agree with you completely i mean based on the story that i'm hearing i mean i think that the lift and anybody who has a concealed you know carry permit you go through the training and they tell you the circumstances under when you know you're legally entitled to use your firearm and i hear this story and you you, you can't shoot at people who are running away you can only use your firearm to I, again, dispense with the threat, and and that's that's why, unlike in the movies, police don't in real life shoot at people who are running away from them, unless unless they're shooting back. You know, I mean, sometimes you do get that scenario, but that doesn't sound like what happened here. I don't know if there was a gun or not, but the bottom line is we're never going to know if there was a gun or not because three of the four guys ended up running away. As a practical matter, though, I, I'm. I, I don't see the Brookfield police as being racist in this case. If this was a situation where, I, again, the four guys stop. See, to me, again, that's how I judge this type of thing. All right, the heat of the moment, I don't know what was said by who, but I, I understand why these four guys would run away from the Lyft driver if he was shooting at them. I get that. But then then you turn yourself into the cops. Then once the cops show up after the shooting, you show up. You guys come out of wherever you're hiding, and you say, hey, we're the guys that got shot at. We were minding our own business. We were in this car, and this man went crazy. The fact that they ran and continued to run, and only one of them was caught by the cops, that tells me what was really going on here. Let's see. We have a text. I work for a company that has major issues with phone fraud in the past right here in the Milwaukee area. It is a major issue for phone companies and pulls hundreds of thousands from those companies, her, um, hurting the cost for all of us. Um, if he was involved in fraudulent gun purchases, let the police dig to the bottom and serve due justice when appropriate. Who buys hundreds of phones on the up and up? Um, yes, I think that that's a fair question um what cell phone store is open for business at 11 much less you know 800 yeah again that 800 number i that's that's just what the mom put up on the the social media thing that i i was reading but i mean whether it's 800 or 80 i i don't know that sounds again it sounds odd to me um i'm just I, I'm not too terribly sympathetic. I'm glad the Lyft driver didn't hit anybody, okay? I, I'm, I'm glad that we're not looking at a murder sort of situation. But the bottom line of all this is I, I'm having trouble seeing her son as being a victim in this particular situation. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner. 229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, I, I didn't read that post that the mom posted wrong. I mean, um, here's the full post. Charge, uh, she's got a she's got a website, Charge Eddie at Lyft, the driver who shot at my son and his three friends in at Brookfield PD. 
I am here simply to bring awareness and get justice for my son. No, they had no guns, no drugs. They was at mall buying 800 iPhones, question mark. Who runs uh, Lyft drivers when you have more money than him in your pockets? I, 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 I do the, the, at mall buying 800 iPhones. I just kind of I leave that one out there. I mean, leave leave that one out there. Again, the police say that this was uh, an identity theft ring that they had caught on. But again, my my bigger point is I, I'm I, I'm glad that nobody got killed in connection with this. Um, the cab, the Lyft driver should not have fired at people who were fleeing at the same time. Uh, good luck trying to get a conviction when three of the four bad guys have have just avoided capture. They fled. At least that's my understanding right now. They didn't stick around that night to say that they were unjustly being shot at. They just took off and ran from the police. You run from the police, and it's tough to, I don't know, get the sense that there's no justice in this world. Tough to see you guys as victims. Okay, when we come back, I have a very provocative question that a lot of parents are faced with this and perhaps every holiday season. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, now somebody just texted us. Okay, that, that, that tweet, maybe the woman, maybe the mom wasn't saying they were trying to buy 800 cell phones. Maybe she says they were trying to buy $800 cell phones. Now, the tweet doesn't say dollar or anything. It just says 800 iPhones. But, eh, Regardless, doesn't 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 change the the overall thing. You run from the police. Police say this was part of uh, like a theft fraud ring and identity theft and all that. But if you're really the victim, okay. After the shooting stops, you, you come back and you you come back and you report that and you you move you move from there. But that being said. Um, the Lyft driver was definitely wrong. You don't shoot at people as they are running away unless they are shooting back at you. And I don't know if there was a gun or not. I, but, of course, we'll never know because the bad guys got away. All right. The, this story, it's its funny. I, I saw this in the Chicago Tribune, but it was interesting because ever since I saw this, and I saw the story last week, I, I've started asking a couple of my friends who have – adult children how they handle this situation i'd be inclined to ask you group but i do not who is producing the show today and always but i don't want to put you on the spot here's the deal okay now, so here here's the deal i have a i have a friend of mine who has an adult daughter um and and this is th- th- this is not this is not my my niece who's just away at college okay th- this is a friend of mine has an adult daughter. Um, she has graduated from college within the last couple years. Okay, so she she's an adult. She she's on her own. She lives out of state. She is coming home for the holidays, and she's going to be bringing her new boyfriend home with her okay she is again an adult the question becomes um i i think and i I hope people aren't shocked by this but i i think it it is she yeah she lives with the boyfriend okay that that's it let me just let me just put that out there okay they're not married but they do live together in another city 
So they are coming home for the holidays, okay? So this is a deal where um, they're going to be staying at my friend's house over the holidays. So the issue that is percolating is what are the sleeping arrangements? Okay, now it's, again, you know, daughter coming home to mom and dad's house. You know or you have a pretty good idea of what they do when they're not at mom and dad's house, you know, Another city, that's what they do. Now, mom and dad might not like to think that that's what they do, but they're, you know, you, you know what's going on. So the question becomes, daughter shows up, boyfriend in tow, spending a couple of days together over the holidays. All right, if they share a bedroom when they are having their own life, and we're talking about kids who are in their, their, their 20s. I mean, we're not talking about 17-year-olds. But if they share a bedroom in Key West or wherever it is that they, they live, um, do they share the bedroom when they come home for the holidays? Or is this a situation where, well, it's, it, it's not going to work like that? Now, it, it's interesting because I was talking about this with my friend, and his reaction was, I don't care what they do when they're gone. But in my house, <laughs> in my house, she's in her room and he's in his room and we're probably in between. Even though I know, you know, that that's not the arrangement, you know, when they're not here. But it's my house. They are not sleeping together. That's, that's what he said. Now, it's interesting because... I was talking to a female friend of mine who hasn't been faced with that situation for a few years, but she said, when I presented the same sort of scenario, just kind of setting this up, she said, yeah, well, we kind of thought about that, and, you know, I guess I decided it really wasn't that big a deal. They're adults, and so if they want to if they want to share a bedroom while they're home for the holidays, it's okay. We're just happy to have them home. All right, 414 414- Seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. What is the protocol on this? Your adult daughter, you know, brings home the boyfriend, or I mean, I don't mean to be sexist about this. You could flip it around. Your adult son brings home the girlfriend. Separate rooms. Does it matter if this is in college? Does it matter if they're young adults? You know, what if it's the deal where they're both in the thirties? How do you handle this this situation? I have to tell you, you know, it's easy for me to say, not having kids, and, and so, but if if it were my house, you know, until there's the ring, and I and I understand that I might be accused of hypocrisy or something, but it, you know, if, until there's the ring, no, you're you're sleeping in in separate in separate bedrooms, and I, I you just you just are. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, we discuss next. How do you handle this? It's two forty two. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Two forty six. Jeff Wagner six twenty. WTMJ. This is going to be fun. Let me just share a couple of the texts. Our text lines exploded. Matt in Port Washington says, "Come on, Jeff. It's the twenty first century. They can sleep in the same room, huh?" Okay, here's another one. If they want to sleep together, they will be doing it in a motel, not under my roof, until they are married. 
Um, what's another text? This is from Allie in Janesville. My house, my rules. Call me a prude, but if they aren't married, it's Desi and Lucy in twin beds. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. We handled it the same way you would have. They slept separately until they got married, not even engaged. The same way I grew up. If they don't like it, don't stay. My house, my values, my comfort level. Yeah, the comfort level is an interesting point because when I was in college... I was in a, a a committed long-term relationship with a woman. We ended up not getting married, but you know, but Ben and I had met her parents on several occasions, and um, we would occasionally go to you know her parents' house to visit. And and there was definitely there was never even thought that we were going to sleep in the same bedroom. And but I will tell you, I think I might have even been uncomfortable in that situation. It just that just from a comfort level, just on all different things, it was fine. We're at her parents' house. We're not married. We're sleeping in separate rooms. And I actually think I slept a little bit better. 414-799-1620. Let's start with A.J. in Greendale. A.J., you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. My, my, uh, I told the call screener, bundling boards are made to be climbed. <laughs> you, under, you understand right, right, that? Right. right. Those were the things that they used to put in, like to separate people, you know, Members members of the opposite sex could sleep in the bed, but there was that divider between them. But you don't believe those work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. But uh, personally, in my and I have three daughters, so I I went through this uh, several times. Uh, the spare bedroom is for the uh, <laughs> the, the male uh, guest. The male guest, yeah. Yeah. No. They, did Did you ever get any blowback from your daughters? Oh, come on, Dad. Or, no, yeah. no, uh, because my wife and I were absolutely on the same page. Right. Right. Yeah, you they know. understood. No, thanks for calling. I, again, I I just, but I, I'm 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 kind of curious as to um, you know, I'm kind of curious as to the reaction. Let's talk to Jeff and West Bend. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um. Well, I can tell you, uh, call me old-fashioned, but reality is I'm in that same exact situation right now. Um, my daughter has been living with us, uh, my wife and I, for several years. She got a boyfriend, and um, he want you know she wanted us to allow him to sleep over. Heck no! Now, <laughs> now they even bought their own house, and they you know they do come over and they'll spend the night sometimes over by us, but it's separate because my philosophy is is this, and I think that's you know, call me a prude, but if they're together sleeping together in my house, he's sleeping with my daughter. Right. If, if they get married, that's different. Now he's sleeping with his wife. Right. Now the, I just feel totally different about that. Now the fact that the fact that they're they're living together though, so you, you, you presume presumably they're they're you know, sharing a bed when they're not at your place, that doesn't change the fact when they come over to your house, it's your house, your rules, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely, and and realistically, who wants to have that uncomfortable feeling? Oh, yeah, that's, you, you know, I come out uh, to go to the bathroom, and you hear noise down the hallway. I, no, forget yeah, it. Right, not in my house. I don't want that. No, th- thanks for the call. Right, it, 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 yeah. Well, that, that's that's the other thing. I mean, I think this is one of these things that just would be kind of uncomfortable all the way uh, around. Um, let's talk to. Jim in Waterford. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you, Jeff? Thanks Good. for taking my call. Good. How do you handle a situation like this? Well, you know, I've I've been in the same boat as some of the previous callers. I've got two daughters, and one of them actually lived out of state, and they lived together for eight years and were engaged, and the other one was living in a house with her boyfriend, and they were engaged, but whenever they came over to the house, 
they had separate beds. And no matter how much they called me a prude or old-fashioned, <laughs> I'd say, hey, it's my rules. I said, you're not sleeping together in my house until your husband and wife. Right. Now, if, if that's unacceptable, well, there's a Motel 6 down the road or whatever, huh? Or, or whatever. Or you know what? you got a lot of friends around the town here yet. You go sleep there, and your boyfriend can sleep here, you know? <laughs> but you're, but you're, you're not sleeping together in my house. Yeah. And I think, I, see, I think that's the way that, that most people would handle it. Now, I guess one of the complicating factors would be what if, and we're talking about, you know, young adults. You know, we're talking about people in their 20s. Does, I mean, does the dynamic change if, um, well, I mean, our, our caller Jeff from West Bend was saying, you know, no, because I get the idea that his daughter's not in the 20s anymore. But, I mean, does, does the dynamic change if you've got, um, if your daughter's 40, for example? Um, you know, is that a different dynamic? I still, I think, and again, I'm talking theoretically because I don't have kids, but I'm thinking, I don't think that answer changes any. Deb in Greenfield. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Deb. Okay, let's try Dan in West Dallas. Hi, Dan. Dan, you got to turn down your radio. Okay. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you? Good. Okay, how do you handle something like this? Well, I've got an adult son and an adult daughter, and I never gave them... Uh, you know, this is my house and this is my rules. But when they showed up, you know, my daughter, uh, my daughter's boyfriend was set up in my son's room and, and vice versa. Um, and we, you know, I think you had talked about being comfortable. I think it made them just as comfortable. Sure. Uh, and so we just we never made it an issue. Now, having said that, you know, uh, the woman that you talked to at the top of the segment. I mean, if it was, you know, it. You know, we're adults, and, you know, if we're not going to sleep in the same room, we're not coming. You know, I don't feel that strongly about it. So I'd rather see my daughter and, and spend time with my family than uh, right. fast and rigid rules. So I guess for me it was more of a guideline than a rule, but fortunately right. it never became an issue. Yeah, good, right. So you didn't necessarily want that to be the, the hill that you were going to stake your entire relationship with your, your kid on. But, I mean, I... I can't, from the perspective of of the being the child in that situation. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I can't see saying to my mother and father, "Gee, if I'm bringing so and so over here, I'm not coming unless you let us share a bed." I just, I, I couldn't see that. I mean, I'd be uncomfortable. I think I'd be uncomfortable doing that in my parents' house anyway. I mean, sleeping together, I just would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, and then I think also the, you know, the future in-laws. I think my my daughter-in-law would have felt very uncomfortable as R- with my son-in-law. Oh yeah. No. Right. Exactly. No. Thanks. I mean, it's just on on so many different levels. Uh, Liz in Sheboygan. Liz, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I was just mentioning. I'm wondering if it's a difference between genders. I had two sons, and as long as they were both 18 out of high school. One went to college. What I don't know didn't hurt me. So, you know, I'm sure he was maybe messing around. If he didn't, whatever. My other son stayed in my basement for a few years saving up for a house. He had a steady girlfriend. He had a full-time job. He basically took care of himself, even paid me rent. If he, she wanted to spend the night, so be it. If I wanted to do laundry in the morning, guess what? The whole neighborhood heard me stomping down the basement steps. <laughs> Uh, you know, heads up, here comes mom. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I really didn't have a problem with it. And as far as, well, he sleeps in another room, guess what? So did my husband when we were dating at my mother's house. And 
I started sleepwalking. What can I say? <laughs> and and I'm sure your parents had no idea that you were sleepwalking, huh? Yes, yes she did. She didn't say anything. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Liz. I appreciate it. Fun topic. It's 2.54. Melissa Barkley's in. Um, she's sitting in the big chair herself today. Uh, where in the world is John McCure? Off on another one of those trips. Um, back to see what she's got on her mind in just a minute. It's 2.55. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.